At Cambridge University Press and Assessment International Education, we deliver qualifications in more than 10,000 schools and in over 160 countries worldwide. Currently, we have opportunities for teachers to join us as assessment specialists in a wide variety of subjects at Cambridge IGCSE, O-Level and AS and A-Level. Assessment specialists cover a number of roles, including creating exam content, marking answers and moderating candidates' work. Our international reputation for excellence, fairness and reliability rests on the shoulders of assessment specialists. Becoming an assessment specialist is a great professional development opportunity. You will gain a powerful insight into the teaching and assessment of Cambridge qualifications, which you can use to inform your own teaching practice. Understanding exactly how an examination works and what the assessment process is will improve your own teaching in the classroom. With many different opportunities available, there is so much that we can offer. Visit www.cambridgeinternational.org forward slash examiners for more information. Hello there, welcome to another JobPod conversation. Today, it's my great pleasure to be chatting to Dawn Gessie-Jones. Now, she's a teacher and geography coordinator at Two Rivers Primary School in Quincy, Tamworth. Now then, Dawn, you've got a remarkable record. <laughs> you've Thank achieved you. the primary geography quality mark on five successive occasions at gold level. That's between 2009 and 2021, which is really amazing. But not only that, I, I have to say this was achieved in the context of a community school where you, you teach a range of children with special educational needs from moderate to severe learning difficulties, sensory and physical impairments, emotional behavioural difficulties and autistic spectrum disorders. It sounds like an amazing place and I'm sure we're going to have a fascinating chat today. Welcome to JogPod, Dawn. Thank you. Um, it is. I've been there over 20 years now, so I must like it. <laughs> Tell us a bit about the school and, and the context in which you work. I know a little bit because I've been on the, the primary geography quality mark moderating team, but others I, I'm sure will find it fascinating to find out what it's like. So shall I go back to the beginning when I joined? So I joined the school back in 1999. And at that point, we were an SLD and PMLD school. So severe learning difficulties and profound multiple learning difficulties. And we had a partner school in the town that did moderate learning difficulties and then obviously in the 2000s as it goes we got federated and we are now split by age rather than learning need so we have your typical primary school 4 to 11 and then your high school 11 to as now goes up to 19 uh, on two separate sites and it's great I love it I mean after 20 years I think that says a remarkable amount of, of work but yeah I am the geography coordinator I've got a fantastic team that keep me on my toes the staff are brilliant and are willing to try most of the things I put forward to them. Um, so, yeah, I'm really pleased and we've really got a fantastic team. So, yeah, I'm going to stay there for a bit longer if I can. <laughs> I think it's lovely that you do geography. I, when I first joined the Geographical Association, well, not long after, actually, we, we were looking at producing a manifesto for geography. It was Professor David Lambert's idea, and it was finally published in 2009. And it, it was at a time when there were concerns that geography was seen as a 
as an elitist subject, as an academic subject that wasn't suitable for all. And I picked up a quote then, this was in 2011, and it was Lord Harris of Peckham who was setting up academies and he was talking about his academies. And he said, this is about teaching pupils a trade. And he said, there is no point teaching them geography. And the manifesto argued the opposite, that geography is fundamental for everyone, understanding your place, your place in the world. And I know from your PGQM awards that, that you've, you've fully embraced this idea. Yeah, I mean, your geography is about the world around you. And even for our very special learners, that world might be quite restricted because of their sensory needs and their physical needs. So it could be just as far as touching the switch and enabling their lights to come on in their room. And then you've got our older pupils at high school and geography is the world around them. And it's about getting out on the bus, knowing which bus to get to and how to get from A to B. So we go from everything right at the early stages to functional geography at the end of it, because we've all got to get out and about. (laughs) And it's great that we can teach those through our not only our geography curriculum, but we've just developed an independence curriculum. So we do a lot of self-help skills and independence work and community visits. So our children need to know how to get to the shops, what happens at the shops, the behaviours that are expected. And we've got some great links in the town with local cafes that support us doing that. So, you know, if they can't explore the world around them, the bigger picture for geography is never going to happen. Hmm. I, I did a project a while ago that was funded by Paul Hammond and it was looking at the local area and it was about getting, getting students to be more aware of themselves within the context of their local area and how they could become active citizens in developing it. And it, it was interesting because some of them didn't recognise it as being geography, just the idea of getting on a bus or moving around and looking at their local place. Their, their vision of geography was that they had to go and look at a distant place. Yeah, we've got, you know, we've got children and parents and there are some stereotypical, I think, views around geography. You know, it's maps and it's field work and you're paddling in rivers and you're paddling in streams. But um, it's not like that. Geography is literally an arm's distance away from you. It's what you can touch, what you can feel, what you can smell. It's your immediate environment. And I know the GA talks a lot about living geography. But for some of our children, that living geography is what is physically around them. I do remember a young lady that I taught many years ago when we were still um, the old Quint school and we went up to 19 and she was 15. And she learnt, bless her, to move her right arm and touch a switch. Now, these switches are the size of saucers. And, you know, we'd got to 15 And suddenly we were able to open up a world for her. She could turn the lights on. We could attach it to music. She had got some control and some independence in her world. And it took us 15 years. Not just I was lucky enough to be a teacher at the time, but it wasn't just me. It was all the physio work and everything that had gone in first before. And it suddenly opened up a whole new world. She could answer yes, no questions. She had got a choice and she'd got a voice. And that is fantastic a lot of children will go yes yes miss no miss but sometimes you have to say no because there are things out there in that world that perhaps you you know aren't so nice and aren't so desirable and our children need not only in special but in mainstream the understanding that it's okay to say no and it's okay to 
and we teach them to do it, shall I say, in an appropriate way. No, thank you. You know, not just stand there and stamp your feet, but, you know, to do it in an appropriate way. And you've got a choice and you've got a voice. And that enables you to interact with the world around you as you feel comfortable. I'd like to take you back to the quality mark again now, because a number of special schools got in charge. They got in touch with me when I was uh, the programme manager to see whether the quality mark was suitable for them, because they looked at that criteria on the quality mark, which is sort of guides you along an Ofsted view of what geography was. It it was partly tied to, to that. And they were feeling that it wasn't appropriate for them. You've just described how appropriate it is because the world can be just around that student. So how did you feel when you first, when you first applied for the quality mark, did you feel that you were aiming for something that you weren't going to be able to get through the GA? At the, at the point when we did the first application back in 2009, we had a head teacher and it was, you know, there were schools going through the process, bronze, silver, gold, And she said, no, we're going for gold. We can do it. And it was that positive attitude. But I also think I've got a geography degree as part of my initial teacher training. And I think that enables you, when you've got that knowledge, to unpick it and see how what you do can meet the guidelines that are set down with the GA mark. Um, Because I think every time we've done it over the last five goes, the criteria has changed slightly and different wording because I remember my first application was very much an essay-based application whereas 2001 was an interactive PowerPoint type display with photos and examples so it became more real and you could see what the children were doing rather than me just quoting it in text. So yeah I do think having either a knowledge of geography whether that is your geography state stopped at GCSE, A-level, or even onto degree, it just helps you to unpick the different elements and how what we do, what we do then fits to your criteria and what you're asking for. From what you said earlier, I think, about how some people have a, a vision of geography, which is really very narrow, and how it's tied into just maps and, and world maps and distant countries. Yeah, I mean, I've got a geography degree, And I can't tell you the capital city of every country in the world, but I can tell you how to interact with it. Uh, I can, you know, we can talk about what is appropriate. We can talk about and make it hands on. We have done with our children more abstract concepts such as rock formation, but we do it practically. We do it firsthand experiences and through food. We've made sedimentary sandwiches so that they can see how it builds up. So we can cover those abstract concepts, but it is just making it relevant. And I think any primary teacher will tell you that if it's not relevant, they're not going to be there. (laughs) You've got to make it relevant for them. And it's also, you've got to be careful with your students that it's inclusive, so it includes all of them, which I I think must be a a desperate challenge. So what do you see? What what are your key characteristics for, uh, for an inclusive geography curriculum? At the minute at school, we've got two pathways. The children come in, whether that is in reception, nursery, or whether some of our children join us partway through and as late as year five and six. And we have two pathways. We have the sensory pathway, which is very much for our children with complex needs, and what we call a semi-formal curriculum. So very much 
we try and follow the guidelines that are set down in the national curriculum, but we adapt it. And if anybody wants to go onto our website at Two Rivers, you can see how it's all been adapted and how what language we're using. And yes, we don't necessarily always get them to be able to recite the rivers and the continents and everything else that, you know, is expected at the end of Key Stage 2. But they know how to access that information and they have experienced it. Distance places that you mentioned earlier, we have European activity days. So we concentrate on the on France and Germany and Italy because they tend to be more local to us in a, in a global concept so that those children have got some awareness of things a little beyond their front door um, and experience some of those activities, whether it is through the sensory room, through practical activities, or us doing hands-on things like building the Eiffel Tower out of marshmallows and lollipop (laughs) sticks, but they can see that it's a tall tower and, you know, so they've got some idea. We have got children that can identify every flag around the world You know, I've got one young man in my class at the minute who's a meteorologist in the making. Every day he can give me a detailed weather update as to what's going to happen. And we go in for him, the wider world, we go in with the weather aspect. Here it's doing this, there it's doing that. And you can then make those links and it is meaningful to him. The young man that's into flags, we can go in through the flags. And then say, oh, well, in this country that's got this flag, they do and look at and try and dispel some of the stereotypical images that have built up around those countries. We've had staff go to Uganda and they have um, helped in a special school out there and taken some of our practice over there and resources. And we've now got the same things going backwards and forwards between us it was you know we took pens out we took blackboard paint out and we could start making those video links we were going to get them to come back and see us but unfortunately covid got in the way but i'm sure it won't be long before (laughs) before that gets back and uh, is another possibility so that they could see because unfortunately some countries in africa children are locked away and they have got so much and i've got so much admiration for them that young lady that we talked about earlier that was 15 and it took her 15 years to learn to use her right arm. That was a phenomenal achievement and the effort and the time that had gone into that, it was greater than any degree that could have been (laughs) awarded to her because everything changed in that moment. Some of us are gifted academically and our children just look at the world in a whole new way and make you realise the special things out there. Some of our autistic children notice the minute details that perhaps you and I on an everyday daily basis will walk past, but they stop and they ground you and you go, actually, I know I haven't noticed that. They are brilliant. They're as much as a teacher as the adults are in the school. I've just been doing an activity pretty much like that about looking at, looking down and looking up. And I got it from Paula Owens, but it was about the minutiae of things that you don't see and the students look as I say looking up looking down taking close-ups of things and the aim there was in the end to produce a a little quiz for the head teacher and she was up for that as well so it was a lot of fun whereabouts in the school grounds would you find all these sorts of things it's a really nice way of getting into the geography of locality but differences as well and noticing those differences You've, you've done a GA course on this, haven't you, as well? You've presented a course on 
quality geography for sending people. Yeah, did it in the middle of COVID, February uh, 2021. Oh, joy. Uh, oh, joy, yeah. Six hours on Zoom was a challenge, but, you know, we did it. And there were colleagues from, I think we even had Scotland right down to Cornwall, so we covered the whole breadth of the UK. But we also had colleagues that were secondary mainstream and looking for some of their special needs students. And I think perhaps at that point, my special needs knowledge was too too in-depth. They were looking perhaps more at those with literacy and numeracy issues, but we were able to point them in the right direction, as well as sharing some great practice. Um, We looked at field work and... We've all done journey sticks. We all know what a journey stick is. You go out and you put your bits on. For some of our pupils, we talked about putting double-sided sticky tape on a very stiff piece of cardboard so that it would stay, or even pockets, because they hadn't got those fine motor skills. And it's just tweaking and thinking, so-and-so will need it presented like this, and it can be accessible to all. Trails, yes, we've done arrows, but for some of our children... They balance and physical needs. They can't look down. So we do ribbon trails and they just physically feel and go around the school and come out of there, especially for our, some of our more sensory needed children and our autistic children, that it is more important to try and get them out of their comfort zone just a little bit at a time so that they can experience that world and open it up every time we do a little bit more. For some of our children, it's symbols or pecs. Um, and if I give you a picture of a burger and I'm a McDonald's, hopefully that's what they're going to give me back. And it's about, like we say, those interactions with the world around them. If I'm hungry and I'm out, I need to know where to go. And by using that, those resources in school, we can let them and hopefully with minimal adult support, they can have that independence and access the world. You've already started to answer my next question, really, because I... It's been fascinating because I was going to ask you about strategies for engaging pupils, specifically in geography. I know when I first started teaching, it was a struggle for me, I think, in in the 70s, knowing quite what to do. And I'm not sure that we were provided with enough to develop to begin with. I sort of bumbled along by myself, I think. I just think that's the way it was. I hope I'm not putting anybody down here, but I didn't really know what to do. But you've got some fascinating strategies. So for people who are new to this, talk us through some more. We do a lot of geography for when we're looking at places around the world. They recommend starting with a story. So those children have got a pictorial link. For some of our children, handling books is really challenging. So we do sensory stories, but we also do something called story massage. Currently doing, we've done seaside massage and the different movements mean different things for those children. We've done sensory stories. We all know the Michael Rosen book, We're Going on a Bear Hunt. Um, The number of times I've adapted that, um, we're going on a Tamworth walk and we've had, we go around and look at the main features in Tamworth. So it's the swimming pool. So we got flannels and fabric soaked in the lovely chlorine smell of the water so you could smell swimming pool's going to smell like this okay it's going to be the cafe um and we got some coffee granules for them to smell and then when they were doing their local study each week we went out we started with that Tamworth walk based on we're going on a bear hunt and went out to visit these places one at a time 
and actually matched up what we saw in the classroom out in the big wide world. We do activity days, we dress up. I think I've mentioned this before. We try the foods. We do sensory maps. That's another thing when we did the Chinese New Year. China is just a big abstract concept for a lot of our children. So we looked at sensory maps. So we looked at using smells and food that were associated with that place so they could explore them. We've done role play. I did an article, I think it was 2009-ish, with uh, some of the sensory children I was working with them because we were doing some work on the Caribbean. And we were lucky enough to get a gentleman called Mr Pascal in who worked for the BBC and he just brought it alive with music and drums and that was the start and we just then went out. We put the children's feet in water because a lot of the Caribbean islands are surrounded by water. So what did it feel like to walk in the water? What did sand feel like under your toes? It's okay saying that these are islands and they've got golden beaches, but what is a golden beach? When you have got sensory needs, you need to feel it. So we did a lot of that. We looked at the colours and the music. They designed their own We've all seen those lovely Hawaiian shirts and those bright colours that they wear in the Caribbean. But for some of those children, those, I remember one young lady, she had um, very complex visual needs. And we just did contrast. And she could suddenly, you know, see things if it was, we traditionally do text, white paper, black ink. That's a lot of our documents. But working with the visual team, we worked out that black paper with bold yellow images meant that she could access it and we could look at abstract things we could look at symbols and she could access the world around her and it was it's a multidisciplinary approach I've got the ideas I'm going to say geography we need to teach a b and c and then we look at we work with ot we work with speech we work with physio and we make it accessible if you've got a speech difficulty you can have electronic communication aids, you can have symbols, you can have pod books, which are A4 sheets with a picture, all the key words around it that are linked to that topic. We can do communication mats. We've taken children to garden centres. What's at a garden centre? And I've made lots of different symbols. And then they've literally, and all a communication mat was at that point, was your carpet tiles from a certain DIY store with symbols with Velcro on the back and they could choose, ah, on this journey I saw this and just literally put it, it wasn't a cut and paste exercise as in the traditional books and pens, it was, oh yeah, that's there, that's there, that's my recording. You know, I think sometimes a lot of schools and a lot of subjects are hauled up on, I need the evidence, I need the evidence. You know, I've got to prove to that big O word that might walk through the door, I've done this and they can do it. But it doesn't always have to be writing. I mean, I first started where I am now 20 plus years ago, it was the old 35 mil cameras and you were frantically taking pictures and running down to certain chemists and getting them developed so that the children could have them for the next day. And there was probably a lot of money wasted because <laughs> the photos weren't appropriate. But with digital technology, tablets and digital cameras, it makes it so much accessible. And they can sequence those pictures then when they come back. What did we do first when we went to Tamworth? Ah, oh, we got on the bus. Then what did we do? You know, and we can sequence and they can make a linear pictorial map. 
It doesn't have to be an OS quality map. It is their journey. And we started at school and we went there. And it can be done through pictures. It can be done through objects of reference. So if we went to the cafe, we might just put a mug on there for some of our children because that means more to them than a picture of a cup. It's their mug. So when I was in the cafe, I got on a bus. You've got a model of a bus and then you've got a mug so that they, you know, bus, cafe. And, you know, it's just making what is their communication? What do they understand? And if it's photos, we'll do photos. If it's symbols, we'll do symbols. And if it's objects of reference, we've had whole timetables. I remember when I had sensory, we had a whole timetable and they were big A4 cards with the symbol on and an object. So when we talked about going to the bathroom to wash our hands, there was a flannel on there and a water bottle. And we used to spray our hands with the water and rub. So they knew that journey was going to end in that place. And it wasn't a long journey, whether it was going far reaches of outer Mongolia or wherever. It was a journey for them, but it had got a purpose and they knew what that purpose was because it was presented to them in a way that they could understand and access. And that's what geography is. It's accessing the world around them. And that's all we do. We just make it possible. We just let them get out there and enjoy it. It doesn't sound like you let anything (laughs) stop you from getting out. I had a a session with some teachers last week, it was, primary school teachers, and we were talking about fieldwork. And one of them said, I've got two or three girls who need to go to the toilet every, every 15 minutes. So... In the end, we found it too difficult to go out. We didn't go. We planned what we were going to do and we didn't do it. And I wonder, you must have to deal with these sorts of things. We have got children that are due to physical need or developmental need are doubly incontinent. When I first started going back 20 years ago, we used to change them because, I mean, even now it's difficult, but toileting facilities are getting better for children and adults with physical needs and we used to have to put blankets around the windows on the bus so nobody could look in and change them on foldable type yoga mats so that they could be comfortable and then access it we have done days yes we go out to Roxeter to look at the Romans and to get there and yes it's history but it's also geography because what did the Romans do and where did they come from but yeah I mean, it gets better. I mean, now a lot of places have first aid rooms. And if you tell them you're coming, they will allow you access to their first aid rooms so that those children can be comfortable and have a change of position. If you're sat in the same chair for four hours at a time, you're going to get stiff. None of us sit still in a chair. Some of our children, bless them, need us to make them comfortable because once they have got cramped, they're not going to engage. It could be the biggest and the best experience that you could ever come up with. But if you've got cramp and your back hurts because you've been sat like that, you've got to change it and you've got to move them forward. And it's accessible. We've had children lying on picnic blankets so that they can feel the grass because we've gone out or lying down in doing it in Roxeter and feeling the bricks. Because the chairs physically stop them getting to the walls. Well, we're talking about a Roman wall. Well, what does it feel like? Does it feel the same as the walls I experience in school? Well, no, because nine times out of ten, they're all plaster and all nice and smooth. But, you know, they can make that comparison. They can express their opinion. If they pull their hand back, 
It's their way of saying, no, thank you. I don't like it. You and I would say, don't like it. Don't like the colour, don't like the texture. But we have to interpret their little, for us it seems little, but for them it's a major communication. And if we don't interpret that and build upon it, their voice is lost and they have a voice and they they need to be heard. And okay, I like the rough texture. So next time we'll go to the castle and we can feel Tamworth Castle and the herringbone patterns in their wall. And we can come back to school and maybe, oh, yeah, school walls are bricks and rectangles and all even shapes and the horizontal, you know, these beautiful patterns going sideways. And it's just it talks about comparing places around the world. For some of our children, it is just about comparing where they are in that building. And I do, in all fairness, start with school because. Our children are coming in from Birmingham, Swaddling Coat, North Warwickshire. So to give us all the same starting point, we start with school. And it's getting from your classroom initially to the bathroom, getting from your classroom to the dining room. From get, you know, And those journeys for those children are vital. It's things like that that we all take for granted. You know, I know how to get to the bathroom. You know, you've told me once it's there. We have to practice that. And we have to guide them and give them incentives to get there. You're taking me into a whole new world here, really, because if I'd been talking special education needs, I wouldn't have been thinking in terms of the needs that some of your pupils have. So let's just, if, if we can, just go back to what the terms mean. So there's MLD and SLD and then profound and multiple learning difficulties yeah give us some examples of what those three look like and how that works it's almost like a sliding scale if you think of a mainstream setting you're going to have children unfortunately in that mainstream setting that are struggling because they can't keep up with their peers those children when they come to us tend to be your moderate mild learning difficulties so they just need time and space and repetition to generalise and develop those skills. And hopefully, Ofsted want to see progression in a lesson when they come out, bless them. Hopefully, with those children, we could see progression over a half a term. Your, if you go to the other extent, your profound multiple learning difficulties, their progression could be not only on a yearly basis, but even on a key stage basis. And it's just tweaking that to show a map. Your, you know, our profound blessed students have a range of not only learning needs, whether it is communication, they could have physical needs and be wheelchair users, physical needs, and they can move themselves in the wheelchair, they can propel themselves. And when they get to year six, they tend to be given electric wheelchairs. And then that's a whole new world of <laughs> negotiating curbs and things like that and speed but some of our children physically need us because they're quadriplegic and they need us to move them about to access the world you talk about weather well what's a windy day okay let's put the fan on that's wind that's air movement we talk about everybody does their daily weather chart in the classroom today is sunny today is wet and all we do is if it's sunny and it's hot you feel a hot water bottle If it's rainy, we've got a spray bottle that you and I probably at home water our plants with, you know, and you just make a mist so they can feel what rain is. And it is, oh, yeah, she mentions rain. And then when I go outside, I can feel it on my face. I was very lucky. I can still see it now. 
all our classrooms have playgrounds attached to them and are fenced in so that if the children need to go out and run and stretch their legs, they can. And this one summer's day, the heavens opened and you had that traditional heavy downpour. And for some reason, the playground that was attached to me flooded and they were fascinated by this flood. So we stripped down to our underwear and our T-shirts and we went out and we played in those puddles and we jumped and we splashed and we sat in them. And it was like, okay, this is what a flood is. It's a massive puddle, but it was relevant to them at the time. That's what was catching their attention. There was no point me trying to carry on with whatever activity I was doing. The rain and that puddle out there was the biggest draw. And that's when they learn the most because it is relevant and they can touch it and they can feel it and they can do it. And it gives those abstract concepts such as flood a meaning. Oh, yeah, that's when we can do this. Then you have to look at the safety side of it and go, we can't do this in every flood, but it's a big puddle and you're going to get wet and some floods aren't safe to go into. And we've done that. We've took them around the town. We have two rivers in Tamworth and they often flood most years, guaranteed, they flood. And we can go and we can look at the damage it's done. And if it's moved a tree and it's broken the road, okay, that's not the kind of puddles that we can then go or the flood that we can go and jump in. And it's teaching them the dangers and doing their own risk assessments. Yeah, we make that judgment when we go out in the car and the road's flooded. Can I get through it? Can't I get through it? Am I going to be calling out some <laughs> breakdown service because I'm going to be the, the numpty that's stuck in the middle of the, the road causing chaos? But yeah, our children are taught. Is it safe? Is it the right thing to do? Do I need to go and ask for help? Do I just need to turn around and say, not today? It's teaching the, those skills, and they are not just geography skills. They are risk assessments. They are – it's everything. Geography is everything because it allows them to get out. I love the idea of the sensory curriculum. I, you've talked really eloquently about it, and some of the ideas are fantastic. If I wanted to follow this up and, and read more about the sensory curriculum, where do I go? You can look at our sensory curriculum on our website <laughs> – there's a huge document and it tells you about the pathways and the activities that they follow. And it's a holistic approach. A lot of the timetable is it's maths, it's English, it's geography, it's history, it's science. But for our sensory learners, it is very much done through a holistic thematic approach, along with their physio program, whether that be MOVE. So a program that we use called MOVE. So I can now get out of my chair on my own and make a choice. It might be that I can now get up off the floor on my own. So, you know, they are worked all together and it's a big jigsaw. It's all interlocking and it's multidisciplinary. Everybody is involved and it's, it, it's, it's great. When it works, it's fantastic. <laughs> Just a little hiccup in the last few years called COVID, but we've got there. You know, we did home learning. I did Zoom lessons and I've had hens brought into my Zoom lessons through COVID. Um, we've had rabbits, hens. hens, yes, hens, yes. This little boy had got hens and he decided that it was coming to our lesson. So everybody went off and got a pet and we talked about pets' needs and what they needed. Not what I planned, but it was what they, and they focused and they did that Zoom lesson for an hour. And if somebody said to me, they're going to look at a screen for an hour because we are so used to in the classroom of moving them and it's short bursts of this, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a song, it's a bit of a video, it's a bit of an activity, it's a bit of a movement. 
And they did. They did for an hour and we made it relevant to them. And their pets were important. We're stuck at home with them. They can't do this. They can't do that. Um, we did scavenger hunts. You know, we were locked down through all sorts of weather and different events. So we did the British Bird Watch. Okay, so we went out, we identified the birds. Our older learners then made a graph using Lego bricks and just put the pictures at the bottom. So I saw five blackbirds, five blocks. I saw in my garden, 101 magpies. That would have been the time we could see were the different, but and it was just making it relevant and accessible to them and for something that they could do. There was no point in them being at home and us talking about distant lands when the parents nor they had got access to those resources. The back garden was there. So that's what we use. And if you haven't got a back garden, you could go out on a walk because we were allowed out for an hour at a time, weren't we, for our daily exercise? And, you know, it was just making it for them. What could they see? Can you go on a winter walk? Can you find me? What did you see on your walk? Bring it back and show me. And then that becomes your Zoom lesson. Well, what did you do when, the, you know, I had a cone, you know, the road cones. We had one of those. And I was like, well, what? Well, I couldn't go because there was a hole. That was an important reason why you couldn't carry out your walk. <laughs> um, there was a hole in the road. So we know what a road is. We can practice our green cross code. We can do our own risk assessment and we can decide, unfortunately, at the moment, that path, that road is not accessible. And they're brilliant. They are absolutely brilliant. There's no stopping them. You can do it. <laughs> well, and, and taking them to distant lands was really interesting because you've you've written this. It's in a primary Geography. magazine and from 2000 it's 2009 i think yeah yeah so we, that's, we make that uh and the link to that too with this because that's that's just fascinating because it just i've never thought about bringing it a distant place in the way that you've done like that we did role play we've got staff dressed up as air hostesses we lined them up and every lesson started with the song we're going to Barbados and we pretended to fly in and then each week we'd look at a different session we'd look at a different part so yes we looked at the sand that I mentioned earlier and we had Alex Pascal come in from the BBC and he worked for those of us that can remember them the Teletubbies and he did a lot of work with those and he brought the Caribbean and those distant places alive with music and children that suddenly their eyes start moving and tracking it's like where's that sound and they've got something to reach for and it's a different drum and he's got different clothes on and it all just becomes relevant for them at that moment and in that moment in time it's yeah they may never go there they may never go there but they know what the sand feels like as I mentioned earlier because we get the sand tray and your trays that normally children keep their exercise books in if they can't get down to the sand that we've got on the floor, we can take the sand to them. Whether it's their hands and their feet, they will experience it. And water. Water, we can... <laughs> that is That opens a whole new world. And for some of our children, that tactile feeling of sand between your toes is an enjoyable one. And it's okay, like I've said earlier, to say, no, thank you, and to pull your foot back. And I don't want to join in this one. I remember being observed by those lovely people, Alfstead, 
And I'd got one young man sat next to me. There was two of us, two children, two wheelchair users. And this young man was nonverbal. And I kept going, do you want to do this? Should we put your hands in and feel it? And he kept pulling his hands back. Shall we? You know, and you're, oh, come on, I want you to feel this. I've put these wonderful resources together because I've got Ofsted watching me. And he wouldn't participate. He would not. It didn't matter which way I presented it to them. But the feedback at the end was we valued his opinion. We valued his decision. And it was followed through. He said no, so we didn't do it. Me and you can do exactly the same when we go out. Do I want to go to that nightclub or do I prefer the museum? We make a decision and he made a decision and he has to be able to do it in the security and with staff that can develop and understand what he's saying and the importance of it. So it sits right the way as a cross-curricular. The whole thing is cross-curricular. Yeah, yeah. And geography is just what, like we said at the beginning, is just that world. It's just that world around them. And whether that world for some of our children, unfortunately, is restricted to home and school because of their medical need, that's fine. But we will expand it so that they reach their full potential and they can make the choices. And we've now got children that can go around the school from one end to the other and say, I want to go on the trampoline because I know where it is. I know where the rebound room is and I'm going because that's what I want to do. And it is great that they've got that voice and they can access it. When you were working with that student who you wanted him to participate, yeah. but, but he didn't, but you're, you assessed that situation effectively, how did you feel about Ofsted there? Were you concerned that they weren't, they weren't skilled enough to understand that he was making a decision? Or, or did you feel comfortable in yourself? I think the comfortable being in yourself comes with time. If you'd have asked me as a, a recently qualified teacher, I'd have probably melted and gone, oh, no, I can't do this lesson. But now, if they sit down afterwards and say, why did you do that? I can give them the reasons as to why. And I will, not only will I argue it with them <laughs> or explain it, shall we say, perhaps not argue, explain it in detail as to why, but so will the senior management and they will back us every step of the way. It is not about... Yes, we've had lessons and we've got Ofsted coming in, but I have abandoned lessons and maybe we shouldn't say that. But if those children aren't ready to experience it and are not engaged, there's no point carrying on with it. You might as well just turn it round on its head and come back to it another day. I mean, we've got, I'm working with year five, sixes at the minute and our topic is magic. How do you bring magic into the classroom? A lot of them knew Harry Potter. So we looked at human and physical features in Harry Potter. Harry Potter goes to the woods. Harry Potter dives in the lake, you know, and we looked at those features and then we decided whether they were physical or had man-made them. You know, Hogwarts Castle, is it a physical feature or a human feature? No, somebody had built that and they were able to distinguish that. And then we went on, we talk about geography at the beginning being maps. Yes, we did do maps but they did wizarding world maps because that's what the, their link was. That was taking them out. And then we looked further afield after we did the wizarding world maps and decided where we wanted the forest to go that Harry Potter had visited in the lake. And now we've got a lovely orienteering course outside um, that covers not only the geography curriculum, the PE curriculum, 
and it's fantastic. We can put letters here, there and everywhere and they are suddenly generalising skills across the curriculum, all because of a little word called magic. <laughs> how, do, how do you assess then? How do you? I've, I've got a flavour, but how? what are the key w- ways of assessing progress with your students? We've talked about photos. I mean, yeah. we have... We do, like everybody else, we have to do the data. We have to prove that we've done it, just like every other school. Um, we use a system called Solar, and we have taken our curriculum, and it goes from the very early stages of cognitive development, so children that are accessing geography through touch, right up to those children that can do the more formal qualifications, maybe not GCSEs, but as done awards, you know, such as getting out on the bus. Um, for every step, we listed 10 KPIs, 10 key performance indicators that at a child that was working at stage four, level four, whatever you want to call it, we wanted them to be able to do this. Yeah, and they wanted to be able to make a decision, express a like and a dislike. It might be that for some of our early learners, I can touch sand, okay, and I can experience sand. And then as you get further up to your students that are able to do the formal qualifications, they can identify it on a map, but it's got to start with that first-hand, practical and meaningful experience. It's got to mean something to them. And then we can start to match up with perhaps what the wider world sees as geography. Mm. But if you don't have those basic skills, the GCSEs, the ASDAN awards, the AQA awards, or whatever you're working towards are never going to happen. And the beauty of ASDAN when I did it was we could make our own awards. You had to follow a system and, I don't know, take going on the bus, okay, getting out from school to town, okay? Some of our children are always going to need an adult, but they knew how to hand the money over and they could get, an award because they could hand the money over to the bus driver and with support then carry on their journey into town. We did awards for children that teenage girls, typical hair and beauty, were able to decide and pick up. If we said hairdressers, they were able to pick up a hairbrush because that was the object that linked them and that's where they were going to go. That's what was going to happen. They were going to have the hairbrush rather than and have a toothbrush on the table. And they had to make that decision. You know, we're going to the hairdressers, which brush are we going to use? And it was that, just those two choices, but they made that decision and they made the link between an abstract word and an object. It is something. I could talk to you all day. <laughs> no, it's absolutely amazing. I think the work that you do is just, is just amazing. I think you... And your enthusiasm for it is obvious from, from just chattering away. It's been such fun. I'm going to have to wind it up because we're about on time and I could listen for the rest of the evening. But I'm going to leave with one last question. Because you, you've been doing this for such a long time, you feel and you've got such an amount of experience here. But we did talk about how a, a younger teacher might feel less confident with making some of the decisions that you've been able to make while Ofsted were there. What key advice would you give to, to new teachers coming into this now and into your education world? If you want to teach a skill, whether, I don't know, what have we been doing? Animals. One of the classes has been doing animals. 
So what do you want to know? Research it. At the end of it, you want to be able for them to match the animal to the right environment, whether it's a fish into the water, but break it down. So, yeah, the fish lives in water, but what is water? Let's break it down. Water is this wet thing and feel it and find it. And as Confucius says, he he got it all those thousands of years ago. I hear it and I, I forget it. I see it and I remember it. I do it and I understand. And I did a fish lesson once. And I remember my head teacher at the time, lovely gentleman, we were doing pets and they wanted to know what a fish was. But you can't handle a fish. The poor thing isn't going to survive five minutes, is it? So we went to the fishmongers and we've got herring and we were role playing with them in the water. And then they wanted to know what the gills were for and what the tail did. And they were literally touching and feeling it and taking it apart. And this lesson, unfortunately, was in the middle of summer. So you can imagine the aroma that is now starting to drift through your classroom, right? You've got herring that have been in the classroom all day. You've got a head teacher that's watching it with a notebook. And he had to stand by the door, bless him. But those children at the end of the day knew what a fish was and they knew its body parts and they knew where it lived and it was relevant to them because they've got fish at home. But yeah, if you stroke the fish that way, he's smooth. And if you go that way, you can pick up all his scales. And it's a bit rougher and it's, it's making it meaningful for them every step of the way. And just follow Confucius. He, he's got it. He got it. He got it sorted thousands of years ago, didn't they? Bless him. They have to do it to understand it. So not only have we got the, the right strategies for the children, we know how to get rid of an, an unwelcome stranger now. We just leave a herring behind the radiator and that will clear them out of the room. That's been absolutely fascinating talking to you today. Thanks, Dawn. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. All right. Thank you. It's not a problem. <laughs>